Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Universal Analytics is dead. Perhaps you've been living in denial. Perhaps you just missed the warnings. But it truly is gone and Google Analytics 4 is here to replace it. But let me tell you, Setting up Google Analytics 4 is not easy, and the learning curve from Universal Analytics to Google Analytics 4 is pretty steep. If you want to accelerate your knowledge of Google Analytics 4 and want complete faith that the data you're collecting is accurate and you're reporting on the things that matter to your business, please get in touch. Over the last 18 months, we've helped businesses learn, understand, and migrate to Google Analytics 4. And the short of it is, the faster you migrate, the better. Get in contact with us at sitevisibility.co.uk or email us grow at sitevisibility.com. In today's episode, I'm joined by Claire Carlisle, local search expert at Bright Local. Claire has been working in local search for the last eight years, and today she joins us to share her tips on how to level up your Google business profile. Enjoy the episode. This is Internet Marketing. Describe a little bit about your role at Bright Local and also what else that you do. I know that you're a speaker. I've been reading your blog posts. What else do you do? Uh, so at Bright Local, I am the local search expert, which basically means that I get to write lots of content. I get to write and record courses for the academy. I also get to go to events and speak. Um, and it's lovely to be involved with all of the processes within Bright Local for their software as service and also their content teams. And um, so that's what I do there. And then I am also a chartered marketer. So I work for myself at Claire Carlisle Marketing, working with all sorts of businesses, but uh, mostly those with a some sort of local presence. You mentioned that you're a writer, you've written lots of posts. I am curious, is ChatGPT now a part of your process? How are you using it? I am not using it. <laughs> that was very firm. I am just, I guess that I will be a late adopter. You know, I've played around with it. I am going to just read what other people write about it in terms of um, these are ways that you can use it as a process when people come up with their ideas about what that is. Because at the moment, I'm, I'm perfectly happy cracking on as I am, based on my understanding of people and what they need. Now, I could just ask ChatGPT or Google this, but um, last night, actually, as I was doing some research and just reading some of your posts, I came across, there was a, you had, I think, presented a slide in one of your articles, 
And you talked about the fact you're a local speaker, writer, and then you said the Welsh cake aficionado. Yeah. And I was, I've never heard, what is a Welsh cake? I don't know what a Welsh cake is. Oh, have you, Scott, where have you been? Have you lived? What, what's going on? <laughs> I don't think so. Apparently not. Okay, well, a Welsh cake is a, um, how can we put it? If you know what a sort of drop scone is, so it's like a, a sort of very flat scone and it has fruit in it and they're sort of cooked on a griddle. So they're sweet and you can have them warmed and sometimes they have butter on them. Um, but we've got a Welsh cake maker here where I live in Solva, which is called Mamgi, and they make all different amazing flavours. Um, so Welsh cakes, they're life. So it, it, it basically became a little bit of a thing in that I'm from Wales so I tended to take Welsh cakes to events with me and then handed them out to my favourite people. Ah, spreading the word. That makes sense. Well, again, spreading the word on this podcast as well. If you've never had a Welsh cake like me or don't even know what they are, go try them. You can get them. You don't need to be in Wales. I think they have them in uh, Sainsbury's. Other supermarkets are available. Um, Scott, I'll send, I'll send you some Welsh cakes because I feel like this needs to happen in your life, really. <laughs> Thanks. I am interested in how you got started. I'm interested in anyone that um, focuses on a niche, finds a specialism in marketing. You clearly have this specialism in local search. Uh, when did that happen in your career? Like, How did you end up focusing on local search? That's a really interesting question because it's something that I always ask myself when I look at other people that I'm like, oh, why why do you do this thing? What happened? Where did that come from? Um, the local, so I um, started off working for an adventure company um, and then this was 20, 22 years ago. And then thinking about, oh, well, you know, they have a website. Let me learn about website things. And then I got to, well, let me learn about SEO things about 20 years ago. And then I thought, oh, marketing is an interesting uh, niche. Everyone needs marketing. I think I'll be a marketer. So I did a master's in marketing and then thought that I would just wanted to work with sort of small and medium sized businesses on their marketing. And from there, I ended up working, you know, in tourism and hospitality, a lot of people with a local focus. And from there, I decided to niche down properly into local when I pitched my first Brighton SEO which was about, I don't know, how long ago was that? Ten years? No, eight years ago. And then I thought, oh, I better learn all the things and really specialize in this thing. So that's what I did. Um, and then I chose it because it was, um, one, it was very relevant to the uh, clients that I was serving. And um, it was nice people. And it was an exciting little niche, really, because I was really interested in Google Maps and the technology. And um, and it's an easy thing to focus on if you're an actual buyer and user of things and you like going out into the world and seeing and doing stuff, um, then local is is really relevant. So it was very easy for me to to learn it in a way because I was actually the consumer of that product a lot of the time. You've been in the local space, what did you say, maybe eight to 10 years? Is that about well, right? Well, I mean, in the space in terms of shameless self-promotion. Yeah. Um, but I think in the play, in the space, as in I have been like working with local businesses for about 20 years, um, but then really niching down probably for the last eight years or so. A lot has changed. So, you know, in this episode today, we're going to be talking about Google Business Profile. It's had so many names and changes, even over, I'm thinking over the last decade. Yeah. What's, what's top of mind for me is that we, um, anyone listens to this, you will probably have seen the changes happening with Google Analytics, Google Analytics, uh, Universal Analytics to uh, Google Analytics 4. And 
I'm just thinking about over the last decade, the number of changes with Google business profile. Can you uh-huh. even remember are any of the names of the, the previous names top of mind for you? What I, name variations have you it's gone through? Probably for me, it's places and then Google oh, yeah, business yeah. and now Google business profile. So before that, I can't remember what it was. Um, I think that I, I love the historical aspect of um, how this has changed. You know, uh, Mike Blumenthal, um, sort of David Mim and reading stuff by them, you really get a feel for um, what it used to look like. We're all obsessed with how the SERPs used to look and how easy everything used to be. So, we, you know, as SEOs and marketers, we do harp on about that quite a lot. Um, so the, the map space and the local space uh, has been very interesting, I think, in terms of changes. And do you like the current state as a user? So, or as a, like someone that's looking through the business lens that has to add their information, add posts, track performance, do you find it useful in its current state? Try and adopt the attitude that, you know, it is essentially a free product. Mm. It's what it is. We're not going to get anywhere by moaning about changes. That's just Google's MO, isn't it really? So, yeah. um, yes, um, we, we, we crack on and we do the best that we can. And another thing we need to do is just make sure that we don't put all of our eggs in the Google basket, which is, um, you know, making sure that you have got ways to reach your market in other ways that aren't just based around Google and the, the local product offering. Yeah, that's great. Well, we won't be speaking about all of those in today's episode, but maybe in, in the future coming on to talk about non-Google related platforms would be useful as well. But speaking about the Google space and Google, my uh, Google business profile, you recently released an article about uh, tracking and it really, I thought it was a really good breakdown of all of the different ways in which you can track uh, links and just interactions on Google business profile, on your Google business profile platform. Mm-hmm. Um, we won't go through in this episode, the how that doesn't really translate to audio very well tracking, but I am interested to know more from you about why and what you should be tracking. So just starting off with Google my, uh, Google, I keep getting it wrong myself. I keep going to say Google my business because it's been ingrained in my head for so long. <laughs> but going through Google business profile tracking, yeah. Uh, what should be, people be tracking? If you oh. could just break down all of the things that people should be tracking. Okay, so I think that that piece I updated recently just to include a little tiny token bit on GA4. But I, yeah. I wrote that piece originally probably about what five years ago. So it was uh, when it was still GMB. Um, so thinking about the things that you can track with the Google business profile, you have Google Insights or Google Performance or whatever they're calling it this week. That's another thing that has changed in terms of um, metrics being removed um, and different ways of accessing that information. So Google tells us some very useful information about actions that are taken on the business profile itself. Um, so not things that happen on your website. So you have phone calls, um, direction requests is a really useful metric because it shows um, intent to visit. We can see clicks on the primary website link via um, Google Business Profile Insights. What else can we see? We can see um, we have got data about the search queries that people are using to surface your listing. Well, my mind has gone absolutely blank now, but those are those are the main things that we have um, in there. If you've got bookings, 
Um, it will give you data on bookings if you um, are able to use that within GMB. And it will also tell us about the number of messages if you have messaging turned on. Um, it changes quite frequently. So it is a good idea to log into your insights um, quite frequently just to have a look to see if anything has changed. If you're not using the API and you're not using a third-party tool to pull that data in, then definitely go in and have a little poke around and see what, what it's showing in there. Of all those data points that you just broke down there, are there any that you find are commonly missed from the businesses that you interact with? Um, all of them, most of them. Um, just because the idea, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure when we get around to sort of reporting frameworks, all of those things in uh, Google Business Profile are pretty business critical, aren't they? You know, phone call is, you know, in terms of intent, um, all of those actions are pretty essential. So pulling those things into one dashboard somewhere, being able to compare those metrics, looking at them in terms of directionality, you know, are we getting more phone calls, less phone calls? Why, why might that be? Um I think that actually analysing those metrics, um, making sense of them and using them to answer business critical questions is something that's often overlooked with a lot of businesses. And as you were talking, you also mentioned that you recently updated the small part of the article to include, I think, the GA4 parameters or something. I think I remember reading the article that you said, even though these new parameters are introduced in GA4, you're not using any of the new parameters just because they're not necessary. Was that right? Have I remembered that correctly? Yeah, for, yeah. Uh, for me, what, what we didn't look at there when we talked about metrics, we just looked about the GBP stuff. What we didn't do is talk about the um, the whole reason that we add UTM tagging is because Google doesn't give us any information about what people that come from Google Business Profile then go on to do on our website. So there's lots of other bits in there. There's a, there's a massive, uh, pretty big measurement piece uh, within that. So I think with the GA4 switchover, if you um, have been using UTM tracked URLs um, to feed into your reporting and your measurement framework, then like, you know, I see myself as a pretty typical marketer in in the sense that um, a bit of a last minute panic. Uh, Everything was set up in GA4. I just don't necessarily understand everything about it. I, I, I think that's probably common um so my question for myself was um how's my utm tagging how i actually drill down into that data what's the difference between ua and um ga4 so there are these additional um parameters that have been added to the utm tracking tracking framework um i don't think that that google is actually using them at the moment um, that was my understanding of it. Um, so I just flagged them up. But it, if someone has implemented UTM tagging using the framework that I suggest in my piece, nothing changes in GA4 apart from how you actually access and pull that data out. Um, so it's still a robust framework in terms of you don't need to go and change your UTM tagging for yeah. GA4. Okay, yeah. And on the topic of UTM tagging, I've seen this come up frequently over the years tools or systems that help with the management of utm tracking to keep it consistent uh any you you recommend what do you recommend um i recommend first of all thinking about how data is managed within your organization so if you have someone that looks after data and reporting then i think 
popping in and having a chat with them about what your suggestions might be with UTM. You need to work out whether or not it's going to balk their framework and whether or not your suggestions might be robbing uh, traffic from one uh, department that might not be very happy about it. So that's probably the first step is is make sure that what you're planning to implement fits within an existing framework. If there isn't an existing framework, then it's quite likely that the framework that I set out um, in my UTM tagging magic sheet will probably work for your organization. And the other thing that you were talking about that was really interesting to me was the uh, you mentioned API. And I thought to myself, I actually haven't really ever thought or looked at the Google business profile API. So when you're the the metrics that we've talked about, the things that we're able to track and just the Google business profile metrics that we can access via API, do you tend to take that information and report on it using something like Looker Studio? What's your process for reporting on Google business profile information typically? Yes. So um, generally, the Google business profile specific um, data and also the Google Analytics data, I pull everything then into a Looker Studio report. So I can look at both of those things, have like a, a monthly dashboard plus a sort of um, uh, yearly metrics. Um, so everything gets pulled into that generally. And is that something you'd recommend for most businesses? Is there any reason to do that? I guess it's because you don't want to be splitting your time be- between Google Analytics and uh, Google Business Profile for your information, right? I guess that it brings everything into one place and you become, um, in a way, I don't know if this is the right word, um, platform agnostic in a way. So if you're yeah. measuring the things that you need to measure in one place and then you decide you're working with a different provider for, for you know to get the API data, you don't have to worry about that because it's all coming via one source, um, which is actually the GMB API. The thing is there is no native connector um in for looker studio so you do need to, if you're doing that then you need to um find a connector that's gonna work for you and any connectors that you recommend or am i allowed um obviously yeah. there's a supermetrics uh connector um and then it all depends on how much money you've got how many locations you've got um i personally use uh jetdo which has a free connector. I think it's not for very many locations. Um, and then Jetdo do a very, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't see myself as a data-data person. So it does the clever stuff where it pulls it off into uh, the secret place in the cloud. And then um, you can then uh, pull that back down, basically. It's all via BigQuery, la-la thingies. Um, so that is Jetdo. Um, and that, can you, you you can put you know you put together your they, they have a template but you can also put together um your own reports they're you know they're very responsive helpful so that's what i have used up until yeah until now but just working on just working on new dashboards myself because that's the thing is ga4 gives us this chance to um to be very um almost you know, to start again in terms of, okay, well, this is the data we've been pulling. Let's go back to how this actually serves the business. You know, let's have a look at our goals. Let's have a look at our events. Let's have a look at what we're measuring and why we're measuring it. So rather than just sort of slavishly trying to um, basically copy that over, it gives us a chance to say, is this still important to the business? Is this still a data point um, that we need to measure? So for, for all of my uh, clients, it's, it's given us a really um, good opportunity to 
not even think about how we're measuring. It's thinking about what we're measuring, why we're measuring it and what the business is going to do with that data. So it has been a nice, fresh start. And what was the name of the, the, the second connector that you said there? Was it Jepto? J-E-P-T-O. J-E-P-T-O. Jepto. Right. Thanks. That's great. I've never heard of that. So that's really good advice. Thanks for sharing. Okay. <laughs> uh, I want to move on to another aspect of Google business profiles, an area which I'm really interested in, uh, which is Google posts. This is also referenced in the article, uh, which again, I'll link to in the show notes that yeah. you, you, you've produced. You'll probably hate me for saying this, <laughs> but I am interested in your experience. But my experience with Google posts, maybe you've heard this before, is that when Google posts were first released as an option, I was kind of excited. I was curious. I was like, what is this? We, we posted a lot from our agency, mm-hmm. I think like maybe weekly or twice a week. Mm. And then at some point, we just stopped. And mm-hmm. um, I th- I'd like to say that for us, we probably stopped because the data wasn't like showing that it was worth our efforts or something. Mm-hmm. Like that. Mm. I honestly can't say with certainty that that was true. Mm. And I just realized that coming into this episode, I actually don't know the current status of Google posts and really what's happening with them. So Tell me about Google Posts. Are you seeing them used effectively for businesses? Is there hope for people out there using Google Posts? I think there is, especially if they manage their expectation about what they are and what they do and who they're for. So, you know, Google Posts, uh, when it it was first released in terms of um, then, you know, most people had access to it, obviously some... um, Niches didn't, hotels didn't at the time. And uh, so it was seen as like it's a micro blogging platform, but it, it very much isn't that. If you think about where people are in their user journey, um, when they uh, view your Google business profile, they're really not a fanatical fan that is checking in on what you have posted on, on Google posts. So I think that's the first thing is understand where the consumers of that content are in, ter- in terms of their journey. So um, posts, obviously, if you UTM tag everything up and you have a framework for that, if you spend however many minutes uh, a month uh, doing Google posts, then you can see, is this doing anything for me? Um, But generally, I think, um, uh, you know, there's quite a a torrid and exciting history of Google posts I won't go into now um, because they, they move around the business profile. They populate different parts or they have in the past um, of the SERP in terms of justifications. So it is changing all the time in terms of how Google might use them to understand more about your business entity, um, where they might use them as a justification in the SERP. But generally, I think that uh, Google is... Um, changing so they're splitting out i think in part special office posts um so as a business i would always make sure that i had one or two special offer posts or some sort of post which um effectively communicates some sort of uh, value-added offering so you could you could put those live and you could have like a quite a long date on those if you're the type of business that doesn't have special offers that is a monthly special offer you might find that there's something that you can put in for six months so in a way it's partly set it and forget it apart from uh, making sure that the URL that it links to you know <laughs> still actually gives a 200 status code this is one of the things that we forget about is we're actually yeah. the content on our website so let's just make sure that we manage that content so special offers post very important and then um, Google obviously wanted everyone to post posts all the time they only used to last for two weeks in the business profile which was another reason we were all thinking oh we need to publish regularly and um, they sit there for six months now so if you have got some sort of 
uh, messaging, which isn't, oh, I'll post a link to my blog. It's something that is um, going to be important um, in terms of helping a customer uh, make a decision to choose your business over another. So maybe an amazing review, an awesome bit of news where you've got an award, or it could be because there's a new product or something like that. That's the type of thing that I would uh, be thinking about posting. And then I'd be making sure that I tag that up appropriately so I can see what types of posts in terms of what what content is moving the needle and actually giving some sort of return when and if that traffic hits my website. Because uh, Google Business Profile doesn't give us data on posts anymore. That's purely we can get that when we UTM tag our posts up and we go and look at that data in GA4. Bringing this to life for me and our listeners, are there any businesses, these can be businesses that Bright Local have worked with or you've worked with, uh, just or just any favorite examples you have of businesses that are utilizing Google Posts really well? Really well. Um, I will just say uh, Folly Farm Adventure Park and Zoo, which I always use as my example because they're like, my, am I allowed to say it's my favorite client? Um, it's difficult to not have amazing content when you've got like baby animals being born and there are like sloths and rhinos. But basically, Folly Farm. For me, that's my one of my favorite clients to sort of uh, work on their Google business profile because we're never short of content, never short of stories, never short of great images. So we just keep it sort of reasonably fresh. Um, and I will see revenue being driven by um, all parts of the Google business profile, but, you know, especially products and ticketing. Um, yeah, so just keeping it fresh. It's not something that you just do once and then sit there. Um, you do need to actually check to see what you've got going on in your Google business profile and checking your analytics to see, well, what is actually making a difference? You know, have you got ticketing? If you've got ticketing, are you UTM tagging up those links? So you can see, um, you know, how much revenue that's driving or how many newsletter subscriptions or how many clicks out to social profiles or whatever it is that's either sort of a conversion or a micro conversion on your website that's going to be useful for your business. Mm. And are Google posts still limited to text and graphics, i.e. no video? No, I think we. I think you can have video. In the there used to be a little workaround, so you can. Was that just on products? I think it was where you used uh, to be able to have gifts. That was quite a good fun, uh, um, but that's not working. Um, no, I think I think you can have video. I think so. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'll check that. And when you produce uh, posts, uh, when you produce content for Google posts. So, for for example, at the moment, like Canva is really popular for producing mm, mm. Uh, content and then repurposing. Mm. Are there any tools that you use to help you in the production of Google Posts that will be interesting for listeners to hear about? Not, not, not terrifically. I think, yeah. like you say, Canva. There is um, on Bright Local. I wrote a guide to Google uh, Posts, which gives you a template in Canva that we produced. Um, it gives you the general. You know, it, it changes all the time because uh, obviously. Um, Google posts look very different depending on how Google is actually showing them on in the interface, what what um, device you're using. So I think one of the biggest things is come up with a simple template, um, use it, <laughs> and then just, just keep an eye on how it looks. One thing that I, I do is I use um, Mobile Moxie so I know what my business profile is looking like, you know, either daily or weekly or monthly across devices. Um, it's just a good way to keep an eye on how Google is surfacing the information that you're pushing into Google. And I wanted to close today's episode on another really important part of local marketing in general, but 
are particularly important to Google business profile, and that's Google reviews. And I say that with a level of assumption. I'm assuming that it's still a really important part of local search. Is that correct? Yeah. I think it is uh, important from like a ranking perspective and obviously super important from a conversion perspective. So um, sorting out your reviews, uh, getting more reviews, learning from your reviews and your competitor reviews is always very high up on the priority list uh, when I work with clients. I figured that would be a safe assumption of mine. So thank yeah, you for confirming. Yeah, very, very safe, yeah. No, re- reviews aren't important, Scott. <laughs> so we, so I still get a lot of questions and we as a business still get a lot of questions on uh, ways to secure reviews. I often get the question, can you incentivize reviews still? Um, for you, what are some recommendations for encouraging reviews? Okay. And be- before I... Before you get onto the encouraging reviews part, I always uh, remind the business, are you ready to receive reviews? Oh, okay. Go, yeah, go for it. So. <laughs> are you ready? Is your product ready? Uh, I'm not, you know, is your delivery of the product or service ready? Because a lot of the time people can obsess about getting reviews, but they forget that there needs to be a foundational piece that makes sure that you have a product or service that is worth reviewing and that it's going to lead you to have the best reviews. So uh, that's always useful beforehand. Um, And then in terms of actually getting reviews, I think uh, one of the most powerful ways to get reviews is to ask for them. Uh, People often leave that piece out. Um, Lots of different ways to ask for reviews. Um, Think about where you need those reviews. Obviously, we're talking about Google Business Profile, but it's it's quite likely that um, your sort of uh, local knowledge panel could be pulling in reviews from around the web. Um, So you need to keep an eye on that, understand what it's pulling in and from where, because it might be that you need to do a little bit of triage um, somewhere else. And asking at the right time, um using the right words is important um understanding how the review request and the review ask sits within the sort of the delivery of the whole of the framework of your product or service and who does it and also like with the different ways to ask you know there's emails there's visual asks there might be text you just need to find out where the sweet spot is i think something that people two things i think that people forget is one, try and work out if you have um, basically you have a process for reviews which doesn't really see that much human attention from inside your organization. Sending um, a review re- request to someone that's had um, a difficult experience um, or that has not actually attended whatever it was they were booked onto is probably not going to get you a good review. So coming up with a way to uh, make sure that you're only asking the people that it's relevant for is, is a good idea. And then the, another thing that people forget to do with reviews is to actually um, make sense of that data in terms of it's not just a, a happy sheet. We need to look at the corpus of the reviews, work out what the themes are, work out how we can improve our product and service delivery, looking at the positives that people highlight so we can use that elsewhere in our marketing. Um, to, you know, basically differentiate ourselves from our competitors. And the same thing is using the corpus of, uh, you know, textual content in competitors' reviews to understand what it is that are their strengths and their weaknesses that you can learn from. So basically, I, I see reviews as a, as a little a mirror into the soul of a business in many ways. Um, so making sure that you make the most of those is, is really important. 
As you were talking, you mentioned the right words to use. I'm just going to break that down a little bit. So could you maybe provide some examples of some good phrases or good ways to request reviews? And then maybe does anything come top of mind for you about phrases to avoid? Things that you see where people constantly ask for reviews, they're not getting them and you just see it over and over again. Yeah, I think the um, in terms of if you've got some sort of process and you're asking over and over and again, however many reminders you're doing as part of an automated process, I think everyone needs to look at that because, you know, if you're sending a review request and, a, and an ask again and then another ask after three weeks, but you're only seeing like a 0.5% conversion or whatever, it's probably not worth sending. You know, you're more likely to uh, make people cross and upset with you than you are to actually get what you want, which is ideally a positive uh, review. And in terms of the actual ask, um, there's lots of stuff that has been, you know, written recently on um, how, you know, what are the best types of reviews? Obviously, textual content is good. Um, more textual content is better. Um, reviews with a photo are great. Um, reviews that use um, the words, your sort of uh, whatever your service offering is, those are really good as well um, because reviews can often be pulled through by Google into justification. So if someone's making a search for, um, oh, I don't know, orthodontistry for children or something, um, and then you have got reviews which are about those things, then it's quite likely that Google could pull the content from that review through into the SERP, into the three-pack to sort of highlight your uh, listing. Um, So one of the ways that you can do that is, so rather than saying, we hope you like the thing that you did with us, please write us a review. You could say, I hope that, you know, it all depends on whether or not, if you're a small business, I think you'll you'll see um, a really, really good rate of response and you'll get very full reviews, the more personalized that you can be. So I hope that your dog, Benji, uh, enjoyed his uh, grooming session with Kath at our oh, yeah. Brighton parlor. Um, blah, 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 blah. Don't forget to, you know, hope you have a nice holiday in Cyprus or whatever it is. Um, obviously, the more personalized you are, and using the um, either the attributes, um, you know, what do you want to be known for? Do you want to be family friendly? Do you want to be cost effective? Do you want to be good for students? Whatever. If you're using some of those words in your review ask, it is more likely that people will also use those types of words in their review. The same way if you ask them questions. Um, so you can be quite leading in terms of uh, the words that you use. But I think it's finding the sweet spot for um, businesses in terms of well, what, what can we actually do internally, given the resource that we have? Because not everyone has five minutes to write down, you know, or 10 minutes to do this like amazingly personalized review request. But if you're the type of business that, um, you know, has a high value uh, product that people won't choose that many times, then putting a little bit more time and effort into your re- review qu- requests might mean that you're getting better quality and more reviews. I think there's loads of great advice there. And you provided a really good fictional example of um, like the words to use to encourage reviews. Final question. Are there any businesses out there that just you think do a really good job of this encouraging reviews? Any that come top of mind? I can only think um, personally when I might buy something from Etsy or somewhere where someone has handcrafted and made something and they actually have a handwritten note. Yeah. Uh, with a review. So it's like in terms of thinking about how we can do that digitally, 
or not digitally. You know, we might be actually crafting something which is an amazing message, which then asks for a, a digital review or, or otherwise. But I really think um, for me that that is guaranteed, basically. I'm going to spend 10 minutes, you know, taking photos of that product and saying how amazing it is and, uh, <laughs> and getting that review posted. So for me, that, that, that's probably the, the best. Um, I don't think I'm a good example of um, people that respond well to re- review requests, uh, so <laughs> uh, especially if it's, um, you know, automated is fine, but it needs to be at the right time using the right words. And if people do want to find you, so they want to find out more about you, Bright Local, some of the topics and content that we've been talking about today, where can people find you? So I am on Twitter uh, at Claire Carlisle. Um, Bright Local is Bright Local. They've got gazillions and uh, they've got great content about Google Business Profile. Obviously, they have an amazing uh, platform in terms of tracking and monitoring um, for tools, but everything is over at Bright Local. And don't forget the Academy, which is on a subdomain. I think it's academy, brightlocal.com, where there are lots of, um, and I do say amazing because they are the quality is incredible and they're free courses all about local marketing stuff so if anyone is right really keen to upskill and learn a bit more then i would recommend starting there claire it's been a pleasure to talk to you really fun to learn about what's happening in google business profile for now i just say thanks for your time and this has been the internet marketing podcast take care Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 